President of Emirates Sir Tim Clark, candid discussion during interesting times. We've seen countries take fairly draconian positions with regard to access and international travel. We're not going to see capacity return to the levels we had hoped for just a few months ago. If we don't fly airplanes, we don't get any cash. A child of three can get to those sums fairly quickly. Sir Tim Clark, President of Emirates Airline, sat down with Peter Harbison of Kappa Live for an candid discussion, as he put it during interesting times. Following is a transcript of their discussion. Peter Harbison Sir Tim, let's kick off with the big picture, where we stand at the moment through your eyes. Before we started, I was making. Before we came on, I was making the observation that there seems to be a very big difference in the risk profile, the risk tolerance that some countries are able to make in terms of, for example, the US accepting, seemingly without too much of a problem, 4,000 deaths a day, yet the industry is going ahead with 50% capacity. Contrasted with China, which very much got it under control, things under control, but during this Chinese Lunar New Year, the Lunar New Year, they've actually been very, very restrictive, even though there's only been a handful of cases in China because they want to keep it under control. So, there's this sort of tandem issue of do you proceed with growth and keep the economy going, or do you actually get the pandemic under control? And that's obviously not a simple yes-slash-no answer. But how do you see this panning out as it affects you at Emirates, particularly as a purely international carrier with literally hundreds of governments to deal with? Tim Clark Well, of course we look at it that every day by country, and we can see as you rightly alluded to, different approaches, different imperatives with regard to how countries go about bringing this under control or balancing an audible 002 in 33 seconds, with opening economies, etc. But by and large, I would say that looking at. You mentioned the United States, looking at Europe, looking at Oceania, looking at South America, Africa, the tendency is to control first, restrict for longer, and then open when the metrics suggest that things are going to get better. And over the last 48 hours, we've seen countries take fairly draconian positions with regard to access and international travel. Particularly yesterday was the United Kingdom with the set rules that have been imposed with regard to quarantine. Scotland going even further. We've seen Canada cancel operations into North America and other places. And it goes on. This is all driven by the fact that in the summer of last year we thought we were through it, we thought we had a handle on this virus, and then we got the mutations that came out of South Africa, or even the United Kingdom and Brazil. And they're proving more difficult to handle, inaudible 003 and 41 seconds, they get an understanding through the genomic sequencing of how they're going to deal with these viruses, countries will continue to close their borders. It'll make life more difficult for international travel. And when we last spoke in December, I think I'd said I was fairly optimistic that by the summer of this year, 21, given that the panacea seemed to be the vaccination programs rolling out, all I was concerned about, there was a fair and reasonable way of rolling out across all parts of the geography of the planet, was that we would be able to get into some kind of meaningful restart on international travel by the summer of this year. Again, what you've observed and the views that countries are taking with regard to what is the imperative, my judgment now is that it's going to take longer than I would have hoped. 
and I think probably we're going to see some difficulties. We're not going to see capacity return to the levels I'd hoped in July and August. I think that may be in the last quarter of this year. Peter Harbison. That's a challenging thought. I mean, from an airline's point of view, obviously it's really instinctive to want to get back flying, particularly when you're hemorrhaging cash, and that's been the situation with large parts of the industry. I mean, just talking to some of the Europeans last month, that was still the attitude there. We need to get flying again. We need to get through this. Whereas what you're, I think, agreeing with me on, it's a little bit like putting the cart before the horse. You've got to get things under control before you can reasonably anticipate that governments will start to take a standardized position to it. So, we're really at least half a year, probably three quarters of a year away from that, as you see it. Tim Clark. Well, I think as you rightly say, the focus has returned to control of spread. Control of the virus getting into the countries at all. That is now returned as the imperative. Protect your, using the axioms of the British government, NHS, save lives, all the other things. Whereas before it was more into. I as Boris Johnson said, will be getting on holiday in March, April, or whatever it was. That's clearly changed now. In fact, they've gone the other way. So, the evidence is clear. There's no point trying to think that we are going to be operating our fleets to the levels that we had hoped. And goodness me, we're in the business of flying airplanes. If we don't fly airplanes, we don't get any cash. A child of three can get to those sums fairly quickly. The problem is that the airline industry and all the associated aerospace sectors and whatever else have had a year of this now, and whereas before they. Last year people thought that, one, there would be an end in sight, two, that they would supplement the cash requirements of non-operating by debt provision or by state aid or whatever it was, to a point where they could get through, certainly for the first quarter of this year. Well, that hasn't happened. It looks as though it's going to go on for longer. And, therefore, you see the cries from the heart, from a number of entities within our industry, as well as the players in the industry saying, we're going to run short of cash very quickly. You need to understand this. And I don't see, apart from the United States, the sector-specific aid, cash, that needs to go into the perfectly good businesses, nothing wrong with their models, nothing wrong with what they were doing in the past. Just they have no passengers, so goodness me, how can you? And I think we're going to have the governments, when they get through the shock of re-entering the protect and control, they're going to have to deal with this particular issue in this sector. Peter Harbison. What you're talking about there, Sir Tim, actually goes obviously a lot deeper than the airlines, doesn't it? I guess the thing that troubles me a little bit, particularly with some of the U.S. carriers, the big U.S. carriers, is that, as you say, until now, we've been anticipating that if we held our breath for long enough, we'll resurface and things can start to get back to normal, particularly with the vaccine coming through. That patently isn't the issue. This isn't going to occur. I think you've just agreed with that. And as a result, rather than just trying to emerge into fresh air again with the same model you had before, 
is there a need to be really looking very fundamental, not just at your airline. I'm talking about you, I'm talking about the airline industry generally, the airline model itself and the whole supply chain, the interaction with lessors, the OEMs themselves, is it something that we really need, as an industry, to be talking about now? How do we adjust to a future that's obviously not going to be the same as it was? Tim Clark To your last point first, it does beg the question, what is the industry, what is the global economy going to look like post the pandemic? And there are different schools of thoughts of that, Peter, and each of those schools will shape what you think you should be doing now. If you're of the expansionist view, you are of the expansionist view, which is more in our neck of the woods. We take the view that you need to sort out a lot of the problems that happen, problems, issues that have been niggling you for a long time. You talked about the supply chain. You talked about the relationship with lessors, with banks, with the entities that buy into our business, which perhaps are extracting more value in the past than we would have liked. And you've got an opportunity to sit back and think about how you would go about improving the way you manage those particular aspects of your business, but not necessarily doing your business any differently in terms of the fundamental business model. And yes, you're absolutely right, there's an opportunity there. But at the end of the day, my view is that once we are through this, demand for air travel will return, consumer confidence will return. It may be slightly more finessed in the sense that people may be smarter about what they actually want. Their aspirations will be the same, but how they get the aspirations may be slightly different. They've had more time to think. They realize that life can go on in a different manner, and that may affect demand. I don't quite know about that. Only time will tell. But I'm not sure it's the right time to start thinking about whether your business model is fit for purpose. If it was fit for purpose prior to the pandemic, then it's probably going to be fit for purpose post-pandemic. If there was a fundamental problem prior to that, then there's no point blaming the pandemic for the fact that you failed. It was going to happen anyway, perhaps now sooner rather than later. So those businesses that had very good, cash-rich, profitable business models prior to the pandemic, I don't see why they would be any different in terms of how their products are perceived in the market. They could be smarter. They could be more cost-effective in how they do it. They could have applied digital technologies a little bit more to the fore than perhaps they had. That'll be able to identify those areas of value that they can enhance in the business. We've all had time to sit around and do that. And there's a lot of work going on in Emirates, as we speak, about what we can do in terms of the BTC relationships and how we manage the supply chain into the company. That doesn't concern me. What concerns me more is that the ability of those industries in the same situation as we are, whether it be low cost or medium or long haul or full service, that just haven't got the cash resource to deal with no income coming in. And there is an obligation to ensure that this sector survives, and it's no point to worry about state aid or who gets what. First thing, get it going. Keep it healthy and active. It's so important to the global economy, and deal with the rest afterwards. Also, one worries a little bit about the supply, the aerospace sectors, whether it be propulsion, whether it be manufacturing. We've seen some terrible situations, for instance, in Boeing recently, 
added to the max issues that they've had. It's certainly been a bad year, but it's not so much the Boeings of the world we need to worry about or the Airbuses. It's the supply chain into them. The seat vendor, inaudible 012 and 25 seconds, manufacturers, the small industries that provide components, conduits, whatever it is. As you construct the airplanes, they rely on a huge. If they haven't got the cash, then you're going to have a problem with building airplanes, even though demand may return. So, it's a question of managing this desperately difficult situation, driven by cash more than anything else, and trying to get through that. Peter Harbison Yeah. And as you go down the supply chain to the smaller companies, there's been a lot of pressure on them even before COVID, which has forced consolidation, less competition in those suppliers and therefore probably a more fragile position as well. So yeah, that's something that once we've stopped the need to hold our breaths, we're going to have to start readapting to that. But so, Tim, can I take it? Let's look at Emirates versus the rest of the world, if I could have you stand back from the whole industry, which I'm sure you do from time to time. Rolls-Royce, for example, just downgraded its projection of the number of wide bodies that are going to be flying this year. Last October, they talked about something like 70%. Now they're talking about 50, 55%. So, if they're correct, and I think a lot of people would more or less agree with those numbers, you're talking about a much smaller industry next year in long-haul flying. Is that a good thing for you? Are you the ones who are in the best position to increase your relative market share in that half a size market? Tim Clark Well, I suppose from a predatorial point of view, competitive point of view, we have a very large fleet, which unlike others have discarded or retired or put into mothballs. We haven't done that. The airplanes are being kept in an advanced state of readiness for operations as soon as we need it. There is a view that there will be a stripping out of capacity over the next two or three years, because of what I just said. Capacity has been taken out and will not be replaced. There was also a view that the number of aircraft that will be supplied by both Boeing and Airbus will diminish against their original contract. We know that for certain now, because of what Boeing has said recently. So, if you take this all together, there is likely to be a shortage of capacity principally in the medium-long-haul markets. And given that the capacity will be, as I think it may be, and that demand, if I am right, will be very strong in multiple segments, not all, there could be a supply-slash-demand issue. That's for everybody to take a view. My view is that the most important thing is, and I say this with a kind of industry hat on, rather than the Emeritus Airlines situation, which is a dominant carrier on the international scene, it's far better to have healthy competition and that the carriers that are doing a good job in all the geographical sectors of the world can continue to operate. It serves no purpose for one carrier to dominate and price gouge or whatever. That is short-term thinking. It's not healthy thinking, and it doesn't do anybody any favors. We have to recognize that many companies are taking on enormous amount of debt. Their balance sheets are fairly stricken. They have to deal with the impairment of those balance sheets over time to get them off their balance sheets so they can function as fully commercial operations again. And I, with an industry view, I sympathize with that imperative.
It's not what they want to do, but they have to do it. So, I'm hoping that there will be an adjustment. There will be an adjustment, and I think it's more on the supply side that will be a problem, not the demand side. So, if people believe as I do, I would suggest that what they should be thinking about is the upside, not the downside and that demand will drive to the upside and that will cause you to think about capacity. Probably heresy in many areas of the world today or inaudible 016 and 56 seconds, or head offices, but my instinct is telling me that this is going to come good and it'll come back at a pace. So be prepared. Peter Harbison I guess the important thing in the meantime is that you're still there when it does. And I guess that's an issue for a number of airlines, as they look down the next six months or so. So, Tim, you talk in terms of medium to long haul coming back. In terms of market demand, if we do have an industry that's pretty much half the size both on the demand and supply side, and probably that's more or less where we're looking at for the next year or so or even longer than the next year if we don't get back into business till September. You've always sworn by the 777 in the past, the large aircraft. You've taken it into some very big regional market or some relatively small regional markets that you made big. Is that for you going to be the aircraft of the future? The 787s is something that you've been. The future, the 787s is something that you've been looking at, or the 777X. Where is your general direction heading as a major international long-haul carrier? Sorry, if I could just add one thing to that too, given there's a lot of low-cost short-haul, medium-haul, and long-haul operation now coming through with the kneelers and so forth that the market was shifting anyway, wasn't it? So where do you stand in terms of say the 787 versus the 777X? Tim Clark. Well, I think you just got to roll the clock back to prior pandemic. So, this disruption, this disturbance that the virus has caused, I'm not going to be. Let's say it's not so transformational that it's caused us to challenge what we were doing and had planned to do. We had already ordered 350s, we had already ordered 787s. We were the driving force behind the ER transformation into the 777X, and we sat with Boeing a long time ago defining what the airplane had to do, the crossover of 87 technologies into the airplane. So, we were very interested in that airplane. The problem, of course, is, as we know, there are issues with it in terms of certification and getting out the door. Does that change what we were planning to do? No, it doesn't. The 380, of which we have 118 at the moment and 5 more on delivery, will continue in the plan until the mid-30s, the 777X was due to come in June of last year, now it's unlikely to be I think before the first quarter of apostrophe 24. Both the 87s and the 350s, of which I think we had 50 350s and a similar number of 87s, we're just looking at how we can bring these into the fleet and when. Obviously, to the point we made about what demand going to look like, etc. Is the fundamental business model changing? Are we going to see the super hub that we created diminish? No, it doesn't. Do we probably need more aircraft post-pandemic to do the job? Yes, we do. There are many cities and markets that we haven't served, for very good reasons, Sometimes it is because even with intelligent misuse of the aircraft, 
it still doesn't stack up on the economics, and that's when we backfly Dubai into the program with their 737s. Of course, that's been retarded with the max order, but that's now going to kick in again fairly soon. So, taken together, using the new twins, fuel-efficient twins, using the 380s on the trunk routes barreling through from east to west and north to south, etc., with the X gradually slipping in to replace the 380s that eventually go retire, we will have a leaner, very fuel-efficient, environmentally friendly, not that it isn't at the moment, but a network that will probably be 30% larger in terms of cities served than it is today. So, prior to the pandemic, we had rolled this forward to 2035, where we saw the airline being, and believe me, there was never any suggestion that the business model and the centrality of the super hub that we created would alter in any way. In many respects, it got larger, more focused, and as we grew the hub, the unit cost of operating the hub fell, and so it became a far more. Let's say it got the benefits of scale to a level that we have at the moment, but that much more later on. And of course, part of that was that our in-flight product would continue to excel. So long as others are copying us around, then I continue to enjoy the benefits of knowing that we're doing the right thing. We will continue to innovate, we will continue to make sure that we are aligned with the aspirations of the sectors. And the other thing is that post-pandemic, I talked about it earlier, could there be new sectors coming to market? Could there be new segments within the existing markets that we're already dealing with? Yes, I think there could. I think there could be a changer in the way people think about travel in the future, on the upside, not on the downside. So, we continue to be convinced that that's the way we're going to go. How and when these airplanes come in will be a question of managing where we think demand is likely to be in the countries and whether the manufacturers are in a position to deliver at the pace and numbers that we want. Peter Harbison. Right. So, there are obviously some shifts in geographical markets as you presumably go to smaller cities, but also, I mean I think it's uncontroversial really that there is going to be a significant reduction, certainly in the short term, to business travel. You've got a premium economy product now in your 380s, 777s coming through. Do you see that as being because of the circumstances now becoming a more valuable product? Your next door neighbor doesn't think so but is premium economy probably a more valuable product as you go ahead now? Tim Clark Quite honestly, Peter, we wouldn't be in the premium economy market. We're just going go it, we didn't think it added value. And our maths suggest that if we've got our demand forecast right and let's say the no dilution of the business with regard to who actually sits in this cabin, if we've got that right, then it's going to be really, really important to us. We are in the process of trying to establish just how many of the existing fleet we can put through conversion. We're going to do that at pace. That's a mega million dollar expenditure, but we're going to do that. And if the current creative, we've only got one of our airplanes with the 380 on board, to be quite honest, we have been absolutely shocked at the demand for the seats. People have been clamoring to get into them. They have been paying whatever we've asked them to pay to get into the cabin because it is a delightful cabin, I say it myself, but it is a beautiful cabin to be in. And only time will tell when we've got the full 380 operation and some of the 777s already with that, 
will we see benefit to us, but for the first couple of months, this cabin has been completely booked, and it's been a good test for us to see how we can deliver. But even though we haven't been delivering the full premium economy, we haven't changed the menus out, we haven't changed the wines or etc., etc., we just provided the seats and goodness me, it's been very popular. Other carriers that have introduced it, many of our competitors in the European and Asian fields, they swear by it. And I honestly believe it'll enhance the income per seat mile, seat kilometer over time, allow our inventory management, row 025 and 41 seconds, people, to do a better job with regards to the inaudible 025 and 44 seconds, that we offer. And I think, because it is an astonishingly good product, it will be attractive to higher price points of the economy segments rather than in business. There will be some downgrading, I suppose, for some. And to the point about the business market, the segments that are driving so much of what goes on, it is in that area that we could well excel because there may be businesses that want to travel but they don't want to pay the full money. So, the premium economy may be one worth doing. So, we're offering four primary classes, first, business, premium economy, and economy. I think that's well within our capability delivering and excelling at. Peter Harbison. Right. Well, of course, one of the early movers with premium economy was your good partner Qantas. How do you see that partnership evolving now? Is everything rock solid as it was before, or are there changes likely as we move ahead? Given Australia probably isn't going to be flying internationally for at least another year. Tim Clark. Well, the partnership, I suppose, if you can call. The partnership of those, if you could call it. Deep freeze situation. We're not into Australia or anything like that, but that was what we were, inaudible 027 and 12 seconds, Qantas is not flying internationally. You've got enough problems trying to fight domestically with your borders opening and closing every other day. Goodness me, that must be a tough one to run. Does that change what happened prior to the pandemic? No, it doesn't. Is inaudible 027 and 28 seconds, Australia, New Zealand important to us? Yes, it is. Is the European inaudible 027 and 33 seconds, police pockets important to Qantas? Obviously yes. Yes, it is. They're just using smaller aircraft now because they believe that's probably the way to go. But the relationship I hope will not change. It's always been a very good one, hopefully profitable for both sides. And the Qantas team can rely on us to provide quality lift for the consumers that they now won't be traveling due to traffic there often, because they've got smaller aircraft on a jointly coated Emirates aircraft, which I know a lot of the Qantas flyers really value and enjoy judging by the number of people we carry under the co-chair the commercial arrangement. So, I would think that Qantas would be, I hope, Qantas would be equally keen as we are to restore the relationship, take it out of the deep freeze when we're through all of this. Yes, you're right. It seems that the Australian government has view with regard to access during the whole of this year, so do the New Zealanders. So, when that. We're all said and done, we're all back up and running, it'd be good for both carriers. Peter Harbison. Good.
that's good to hear. And more broadly on alliances, we're looking at, obviously, an industry that's going to be very different as we talked about before. Does that impliedly mean that alliances are going to be more important for all airlines and for Emirates in terms of being able to service all the various markets? And for example, Tim Clark. I think it's an Peter Harbison. Go on. Tim Clark. It's an interesting question because obviously in times of distress and difficulty, the knee community has had a habit of forming clusters to protect, if you like, themselves from the trading conditions across the global economy. So, we've seen that in the past. And one could imagine then consolidation to alliance being strengthened and strengthened in numbers, etc. On the other hand, there may be a view that perhaps the dominance of the way the alliances work may not be fit for purpose in the new way of doing things. We have multiple white body twins coming out. You've mentioned the 321 XLR, the 320, and the 737 MAX, 8, 9, and 10. These change out the need for carriers who hitherto had allowed their geographical markets to be controlled by others. They now have the ability to move to the city pairs that they originally shared value with. And do I see a little bit more of that? Yes. Prior to the pandemic, it was already been talked about. And that's not to say that there won't be groupings, but I would suggest that those groupings may span alliances, that they may involve players in other parts. I mean, Qantas is a one-world member, they work with us. But I can see that the airline managements in the future will be looking at this as, is this not legacy think? Is this perhaps? Do we get more value by taking smaller units, twins, flying more often, higher frequency, inner-city pairs that we've already always allowed others to do for us as part of the alliance business model? I don't know, but there could be a change there. So, you've got this sort of dichotomy there. You've got the view that plunge into alliance, protect yourself against the horrible things going on, or take the opportunity to do things slightly differently with partners who may be part of another marriage. Who's to say? Peter Harbison. Probably, yeah. Probably all of the above, given the uncertainty that we're going through. And obviously it's not going to be just one decision, it's going to evolve as you watch things go along. I'd have to ask you too in that context, so Tim, about Etihad, they've obviously had their struggles. And I think you've talked about them recently in terms of perhaps some sort of relationship. Do you see that as a standoff still that never the twins shall meet? Or is there some improving relationship in future? Tim Clark No. I've always said that there is plenty of inaudible 031 and 56 seconds, to work together, providing we don't cross over into the sort of anti-competition situation. And there is work going on there. I don't know what it is, but basically as they continue to downside to a level where Tony Douglas is thinking it's a manageable proposition, that it's cash proposition inaudible 032 and 13 seconds, which I think he's getting there how we can work together with regard of the partnership and deal with all the back-of-house stuff. Hashtag rebuilding travel.